All right, if you will, turn your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. And please stand for the reading and the hearing of God's Word. <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and start back in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, <clears throat> he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while. We see him who was for a little while made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by, grace, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. You may be seated. <clears throat> May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So uh, I wasn't lying to you when I said that I had written this sermon four or five times and then erased it and basically uh, just put the text up. And I'll tell you why. It wasn't that I couldn't put together <clears throat> the specifics of the text, but it was because there's... And man, I was just overwhelmed this morning that uh, the word of God is just so big. It's so, it's just, it boggles my mind. And, and you, I hope that it comes across this morning, but I'm feeling kind of weak. That <clears throat> the meat of this text is the idea that we as human beings will rule the earth. And to, to be trusted with such a task is beyond comprehension because especially in the Bible Belt, we, we are so often reminded of the sinners that we are, which is true. We're so often presented with the death of Christ as the substitute in our place because we're wicked. It was our sins that was cast upon the Son of the living God in order to <clears throat> bring about the redemption of the world. Because mankind is so evil and so wicked and so corrupt that there was no saving him except by way of substitutionary atonement. Meaning that there had to be a death because the offense was what it was. Without the substitution, all human beings remain indebted to God. And where there is sin, there must be blood. And I say that <clears throat> because I've preached that, and I do preach that, and it is true. But the second half of that is rarely, if ever, taught. And that is, is that we are made like him in his suffering so that we would be made like him in his glorification. In the substitutionary work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross and his subsequent death, 
burial, resurrection, and ascension, we find that we are buried with him in the tomb because we are wicked sinners, and that's why he died. But oftentimes, we stop at the cross, or we stop in the tomb, or maybe we'll make it to the resurrection. <clears throat> but we fail to realize is that Christ resurrected and ascended and sat down at the right hand of the Father, proving that he was the heir, the prince of peace, the king of righteousness that would rule and is ruling currently over everything. All rule and authority has been given unto him that through death he was perfected and he took his seat at the right hand of the Father. Now, sinners, you have been made like him in his death. The Bible says that everyone who hangs upon the tree is cursed of God. Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And through Christ, we die to our flesh. We are cursed upon the tree with Christ. We are buried. Our flesh is buried with Christ. But our spirit is resurrected with Christ as well. Now we will talk about this today a little bit too. And I've got to speed up. But <clears throat> we will experience bodily, physical resurrection as well. In the completion of the redemptive process. But what we need to realize now is that the Bible speaks to believers in the realistic terms that if you've been buried with him, you've also been raised with him. You've also been given life. Ephesians chapter 2, I've quoted this to you many times. By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, but a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And you have been seated in the heavenly places is that even now, <clears throat> you have a positional authority in the Lord Jesus Christ. In that text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says <clears throat> that he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God, he goes on to say there that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, and we have become ambassadors of God. You know what an ambassador is? It is one who doesn't emanate authority. It doesn't originate with him, but he carries the authority of those whom he represents. And so we carry the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, even in our current position. Now, you might be saying, <clears throat> what does this have to do with Hebrews chapter 2? Well, I don't even want to start with reading Hebrews chapter 2 again. What I want to do is I want to back up even for a moment, and I want to talk to you about, got my note here, I just jotted this down, I'm telling you, the Lord's just been kind of hammering me on a few things, <clears throat> but I want to start right here, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 17, and then we're going to get into Hebrews, I don't know if you've ever paid much attention to this text, <coughs> it's a fascinating text. Luke chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's interacting with them. Luke's giving an account of what happened. And he says, and Luke said, tells us of this uh, interaction with the Lord and his disciples, starting in verse 17 of chapter 10. He says, the 72 returned with joy. Now, Jesus Christ had sent, sent them out two by twos. He sent out 72. They had went out and done what Christ had told them to do. Basically, they were sharing the gospel, <clears throat> re rebuking the enemy, and uh, so on and so forth. They return, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Anybody know what a demon is? Somebody tell me. Fallen angel. A demon is an angel that's fallen. Okay? Keep that in the back of your mind. <clears throat> Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now watch this. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, 
I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, nevertheless, do not rejoice in that. That the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. couple of things to just kind of think about in that text and how it relates to what we're about to get into is that Jesus sends out these disciples. He had granted them power over the enemy. We know from the text that he had granted them power over uh, many things, uh, including all the schemes, all the attacks, all the power of the enemy. He had given them authority and power over over angels, fallen angels, giving them power over sicknesses and things like that. And they came back and they were ecstatic because they were like, Jesus, you won't believe what happened. I don't know if they said that, but it was, it was their attitude. I think the demons even obey us. And, and think about why they would have been so excited. Because see, in our culture, we don't even hardly recognize dem demonic activity, though it is surrounding us, right? You know, we, we have a scientific answer for everything. But anyway, <clears throat> they came back, and, and they had dealt with demonic forces. You know, they, they understand, you know, demonology and angels and, you know, perfect angels and fallen angels and possession, and, you know, they dealt with that. And so they went out ministering for Christ. This, this teacher had sent them out, and they had went out in a different way. Before they may have went out, these, a lot of these were uh, fishermen and things like that, but most all of them, if not all of them, would have been Jews who, to some degree, observed Torah and went to the synagogue and understood the things of God. And, and so they may have even talked to people about God before. They may have even dealt with demons and things like that, but not, nothing ever like this. They went out and demons were scattered when they showed up and they came back what Jesus that, even the demons and Jesus says yeah that's cool you know I know I gave, I gave you all this power and that's awesome but listen you need to be careful that's 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 nothing that's nothing what you need to be rejoicing in is that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life that your names are written in heaven we're gonna talk a little bit about that but it'll be in a little bit broader way let's get back to our text right here with that in the back of your mind the text that we're we did one through four last week we're going to pick up in five today <clears throat> and sorry my throat's been scratched i've about lost my i feel fine but my i lost my voice about it but you guys just uh bear with me <clears throat> we're going to pick up in verse five and if you want to take notes today that's great i'll try to write some up here but my handwriting's terrible and i always I don't know if it's because I can't spell when I'm on stage or what. I usually do okay. I'm not an idiot, okay? <laughs> For some reason, I can't spell up here. I think it's because I'm in a hurry, okay, and I'm trying to get done. But anyway, <clears throat> I'll write a few notes up here, but it's just so big and so broad. I just wanted to say this morning, and let's, as a matter of fact, let's pray right quick. This morning, God, I just want to give you free reign. Just help me, please. Uh, you've shown me so much. I don't even know where to start. Just leave me by the Spirit and help it to be uh, comprehensible. And most of all, glorify you, glorify your son in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> all right, so let's pick up in verse 5. So a couple of the first questions that I asked when I come to this text I, that I thought was kind of odd to me when I was reading it, and uh, I don't know if you thought it was odd, but so think about what we've already done. We've already went through all of chapter 1. We went through four verses in chapter 2, and all of chapter 1 nearly was about Jesus Christ's superiority over angels, right? It, it talked about, you know, Jesus Christ was, was superior to the prophets. He was the final revelation. And then a long uh, list of reasons and Old Testament passages of why he was superior to angels. And then we come into chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. <clears throat> it kind of takes a right-hand turn, seems like. And uh, A.W. Pink is one of the commentaries I've got. He says that uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 is almost like a, a parenthetical insertion, meaning that <clears throat> the author of Hebrews is kind of going through this doctrinal, um, 
breakdown of why Jesus is superior to angels. And he gets fired up. And in uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he's like, he can't contain himself anymore. And he says, whoo, with these truths right here, this is what you need to be careful of, right? And so it's almost like this. That's why a lot of people think it's a sermon, right? Because if you'll watch, it's, and you just can't help it. You know, the preacher can't help it. Every preacher is built different, I'm sure. But I understand why he would see that. And I kind of see that, too, is because, you know, <clears throat> a lot of the times my my message to you is a mixture of teaching and preaching and it's one of the hardest things for me to understand how to balance that you know um because the teaching like there's like four of you who really love that uh and then <clears throat> there's like you know everybody else that likes the preaching you know which you say well what's the difference well think of like the teaching is more like a classroom type setting and then the preaching is more like a you know an excited passionate plea about the information okay and so I think you need both and I think when really good preachers uh, are gifted from God, both are happening, and you don't even hardly really notice it. But it is, a, it is tough to balance sometimes. But anyway, I understand because a lot of times when I'm trying to explain something to you, how something works, the mechanics of something, and I'm trying to kind of do it logically and exegetically, I just need for you to understand how it works. It may not be as passionate as far as, like, as some other things are, but it's, I'm passionate about it, but it just, you need to just understand it logically how it flows. And then sometimes it's just like, man, you're just so excited about it that it just, wah, you know, you just, woo, come on, let's go. God, it's great. Let's do it. You know, so that's what it kind of seems like in 2, 1, verse, uh, two, one through 4. And then chapter 5 is like goes back to what he was talking about <clears throat> in uh, chapter 1. <clears throat> I don't think it's quite as much of a break as Pink makes it out to be. Um, but I understand what he's saying. Uh, but here's our question. So as I'm reading through chapter 1, we read all of these Old Testament, like home run, nail in the coffin, ideas that show that Jesus Christ is superior to angels. We get to chapter 2, and then we have this first warning and the first call. What was the, what was the call? What was the exhortation? It was <clears throat> that we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, Right? And then the big warning came right after that, the big, huge, weighty warning, is that they didn't even escape in the Old Testament when they got the shadowy realities and uh, they, they, got, they, they only had the law, they only had these things. They didn't even escape uh, when they disobeyed and when they turned away from that message. How much more if you turn away from this message, the clear gospel? And then, remember last week we had went through how it was fourfold clarity that God, you know, you know, God had attested to it. He had sent those who were writing. He had uh, all these demonstrations of miracles through the dis distribution of gifts according to his will. All these different ways that it's just super, super clear now of what God is calling us to do. And that is submit to the Lord Jesus Christ who is superior to the angels, right? So that's the first encouragement and the first warning, this weighty, weighty warning. And then right out of that, right out of it, he says for, okay, it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. Now, <clears throat> according to Pink, this is going really back to even chapter 1 <clears throat> and almost not unrelated, but not as related to 2, 1 through 4 as it is to Christ's uh, superiority of angels. I'm going to challenge that just a little bit. And he actually clarifies and goes on to it, into it a little bit more. He's a, he's a genius, too. I want, to, I, want to, I want to challenge that just a little bit. And I want to say that this four right here tells us that this is directly related to chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Now, let me remind you, we've already read it. But let me remind you, I, I, maybe should, I should have put a slide up here with that on it. But I just want to walk through this one more time. And then we're just going to start unpacking it just picking it apart a little at a time <clears throat> therefore we must pay closer closer attention to what we have heard lest we drift away from it for since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation that right there Think about that. Hold on that to a second. He's like, you got to pay attention. you got to pay attention because they didn't get away and you won't get away if you neglect this great salvation, this wonderful, majestic, great, 
all-encompassing salvation that in chapter 1 verse 14 said would be inherited by those who are in Christ. Keep that salvation in mind. This great, magnificent, huge salvation. That's what we're talking about here. Now watch. <clears throat> it was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. It's sure. He's told you over and over and over. And in these last days, he has spoken by his son, and it is no, it could not be any more clear. He says this. He said, this great salvation, don't neglect it because you will never escape because they didn't. So pay attention. Pay attention. Don't neglect this wonderful, wonderful salvation. For, because it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. You see it? Okay, so here is the, the I'm just going to abbreviate here encouragement and <clears throat> or you can say exhortation call and the warning so he said pay attention pay attention pay attention pay attention don't neglect this salvation because you'll never find any escape don't do it you need to pay attention pay much closer attention as a matter of fact to the words you've heard and uh Make sure that you don't drift away. You've got to keep your eyes on Christ. Because if you drift away, how are you going to escape if you neglect this great salvation? And then he says, for it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come. Two questions to ask. What is one? What? Is the world to come? What's the world to come? What does that mean? What are we talking about here? And then the second question is, what does subjection have to do with anything. Sorry if you can't read it. <clears throat> what is the world to come? And what is subjection of that world to come? And how it's not subjected to angels? How does that have to do with, what does that, what does that have to do with anything? What does it have to do with chapters one through, uh, chapter two verses one through four? What does it have to do with the admonishment or the encouragement or exhortation or the call to make sure you pay attention and the warning to not drift away because you can't escape if you neglect this great salvation how are those connected what does it what does this mean so let's let's dig into that for just a second so what is he talking about when he says the world to come well first of all we understand that it's to come is, is it this world is it this world no, it's not this world. It's, it's the world to come. It's in the future. We know that much, okay? <clears throat> so as we think about the world to come, we want to start to ask some questions. What is the world to come? When is the world to come? What does it look like? Where is it? And so as we start to unpack these things and as we start to think about these things, we want to ask ourselves, and how is that world to come connected with the immediate context that we're reading in chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Hebrews, okay? So let's take a look at Hebrews for just a second before we start talking any more about the future world to come. <clears throat> I want you to step back with me to chapter 1 and look at verses 13 and 14. Watch this. He says, and to which of the angels has he ever said, this is chapter 1 verse 13, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Does that give you the idea of dominion and rule and authority? Does that give you that idea? Yeah. Watch this. V verse 14. <clears throat> Are they, speaking of angels, not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? What are angels? <clears throat> how do let's, let's, let's ask it this way. 
How do angels read? Who are the ones to inherit salvation? Let's back up one step even further. Okay, us. What is? Who are us? Christians, believers, those who have faith in Christ, those who come in to the faith through adoption by the shed blood and, and purchase price of Jesus Christ, right? Those are the ones who will inherit salvation, okay? Now, Jesus Christ, it says of the Son, will be the one who all of his enemies bow at his feet. They will all be under his feet, a footstool, right? But here it goes on to, to talk about not just Jesus, but those who come into God's family through Jesus, that, that angels, how do they relate to believers? Not human beings in general, but believers. How? They're ministering spirits. But there's one more word in there. Are they not all ministering spirits, spirits sent out to serve? For the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. Are those who are to inherit salvation subject to angels? Or are angels subject to them? It's just a little key. Just a little contextual key to try to see where we're headed here. And what the author is doing. <clears throat> he moves on from there. That's when the warning starts in the exhortation. He says angels will, are actually ministering spirits who have been subjected to serve. Not against their will. Don't think it that way. But they have been subjected. They have a duty. They've been sent out to minister to and serve and to come and hold up human beings who have been saved, who have been given eternal life through Christ <clears throat> and become heirs along with Christ. Romans chapter 8. He says, therefore, since you're in this position. He says, therefore, since you're in this position. You've heard the word now. You've heard the word through the Son that <clears throat> although you were lower than the angels because you had been subjected. Through Christ, you have been elevated. And you now you are served by angels. Therefore, be careful. To pay close attention to the word that has now elevated you to the place where you understand angels are serving you as an heir of the throne. Lest you drift away from that. Because if you drift away from that, there is no escape of that great salvation. So the great salvation <clears throat> has at least as part of it being elevated to a position of authority higher than the angels that we are served by angels even the here and the now now we're going to talk about the here and the now and the then to come but this has to have involved in it the here and the now you guys you, you still trekking with me because he says that the angels minister to and serve those who are to inherit salvation they haven't gotten they haven't got to that fullness of salvation yet so what does it mean is that angels are serving you now as heirs looking forward to the great salvation that awaits as we look forward to the great salvation that awaits we are to live the here and the now in the reality of what the then to come will be. Does that make sense to you? As <clears throat> heirs of Christ, you have been seated in the heavenly places with God. And you are little Christ, a royal priesthood, Peter tells us. And you are to exercise authority granted to you by Christ, who has sent you as ambassadors upon the earth to restore the earth to its proper, uh, original, perfect design and beyond. That you are reclaimers and redeemers just as Christ was. You are, that's why Romans chapter 8 says that. You are being conformed 
to the image of the Son. Some people think evangelism is something that you're supposed to do. No. Evangelism is who you are. Christ is the Savior. Christ is the gospel. It's not something that he does. It's not something that he accomplished. It is who he is. It is in the fabric of his being. He came to save. He came to love. He came to rebuke the enemy and to defeat death and sit upon his throne in power and in authority and to send out his children to finish the work that he had began. The world to come is tied intrinsically to the great salvation that he speaks of in verses 1 through 4. Now, <clears throat> don't hear me saying that the life you live now is the great salvation. No, it is yet future. A couple of other ideas that uh, as I was reading and studying, studying, is that some hold the world, the world to come to be the millennium. You guys got this? I'm going to erase this. Some hold it to be the millennium. Uh, that's <coughs> pretty problematic if you ask me. Because the millennium, okay, so even, and I'm not going to get into all of this, okay? Eschatology just gets crazy and I don't care all that much. <coughs> but whether you're a dispensational premillennial, a premillennial, a non-millennial, or a post-millennial, or you don't give a rip millennial, right? <coughs> Every position holds, whether you hold to a literal 1,000-year millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, at the end of the church age, and you believe the church will be raptured out, which is not the position I hold, I do not believe in a literal 1,000-year millennium. Whether you believe that or you're an amillennial, which is what I am, and you believe that the kingdom of God and the 1,000-year reign is an expended metaphorical time span and that we're in the millennium now and we're moving toward the second coming and the great white throne of judgment, or whether you're a post-millennial, which also believes is the millennial now, and that the church will basically take over the world and present Christ with his bride upon his second coming. Either way, whether you're any one of those positions, all of them hold that the millennium is not perfect. That the millennium still has sin in it. Even the premillennials, dispensational or historical premillennial, even the premillennials who believe in a literal 1,000-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ from Jerusalem, they too hold that though Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning from the throne and bringing all things into order, that there's still sin and there's still rebellion, just not near as much. And those positions hold that at the end of that 1,000 years, there will be a great uprising from Satan called uh, the... Um, oh, it just slipped my mind. The, the day of desolation, uh, the abomination of desolation, in which all of the forces of evil that remain in the millennium, even though Jesus is ruling, will rise up. They will rebel against uh, Israel, which will be brought back into Jerusalem and all that. They will rebel against Jerusalem. They'll rebel against Jesus, and Jesus will destroy them all, and then the second coming and the new heavens and the new earth. <clears throat> the issue with all of that is, is that it's not perfect. And not everything is in subjection to Christ in the millennium, no matter what position. And so uh, authors like uh, Fruchtenbaum, even Pink, hold that the world to come is the millennium. But I don't agree with that. And a lot of, a lot of commentators don't agree with that. That they believe, and I believe, that the world to come is the new earth. It is the new heavens and the new earth. <clears throat> and it is that renewed earth that we do inhabit. Now, I, I, you know, fast running out of time. People misunderstand what heaven is. 
we talked a little bit about this before, but they think that <clears throat> when you die, you get wings, you become an angel, and you go up to this floaty place and buzz around like a hummingbird all day long. But that's not what heaven is like, uh, and it's not what the final heavens and the final earth will be like. It will, the new heavens and the new earth will be like what you see here, except perfected. There, you'll still have, you'll have work to do, you'll have jobs, you'll have relationships with people. Um, there will be no sin, no pain, no tears, no destruction, no corruption. Uh, but it'll be a real, actual heavens and earth. So <clears throat> I think we can see that here in the text. It was not <clears throat> to angels he subjected the world to come of which we are speaking. He has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him, you made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. So let's hit second gear here, okay? So I think that we can agree, I hope we, well, we can all agree that the world to come is yet future. But I believe as we read a little bit more in context, I think most of us would agree that it's not even talking about the millennium because there's still death in the millennium even if you believe it's literal, but that it's, it's referring to the new heavens and the new earth. Let's read a little bit further. Watch this. <coughs> he says, now in putting everything in subjection to him, this is uh, the, last, the uh, last part of verse 8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. He said, you know, here's the idea. He's saying, look, you need to be careful to mind this word because of the position that you're in now. And don't neglect this salvation because the world to come, the world you're going to, is not going to be subjected to angels. It's going to be subjected to man. It's going to be subjected to you. And if you can't, if you can't handle this now, and if you won't even pay attention to it now, how are you going to be, uh, how are you going to be what God's called you to be in that world to come, in the great salvation? You'll never make it right? He says, but, you know, the author or the audience pushes back, but wait a minute. Everything's not in subjection. Look around. Everything, well, it's corrupt. It's, it's, it's broken. You know, everything's not in subjection. He says, <clears throat> now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, at present, we do not see everything in subjection to him. We don't see it in, in subjection to man right now, right? We're subject to everything. Now, we think as mankind, we think that we've got a handle on things, right? All of our science, all of our communication skills, all of our equipment, all of this, all of that, our language skills, our computers, all of this stuff. We think, well, we got it. But there's one thing remains. Even if you're fooled with all of that, even if you think you've got all the money and you've got all the power and you've got all the prestige, there's one thing that not one of you will escape in this room. What is it? death <clears throat> death not everything's subjected now he goes on he said but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels namely jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of god he might test death taste death for everyone <clears throat> let's do this this is psalm 8 okay this starts right here <clears throat> this is psalm 8 Okay, and in Psalm 8, this is quoted along with a few other things. What is man that you are mindful of him or the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in Psalm 8, who's this referring to? It's actually referring to man, human beings. It's applied later in Hebrews to who? Christ. You say, wait a minute. Mankind are an evil bunch of rats. Remember I told you that we always get stuck there. Men, men are wicked, but I want to show you something. Genesis chapter 1. What does God create? Perfect world. Who is the whole creation, creation subjected to? Adam. 
man. Subjected to Adam. Later in the New Testament, he'll be known as the first Adam. <clears throat> the whole world is perfect, spotless, without blemish. It is good, as the Lord has said, and it's subjected to Adam. God commands Adam, go exercise authority, uh, rule, have dominion over the earth, fill it, be fruitful, multiply. It's yours. The whole creation was yours. Genesis 3, Adam <clears throat> falls. To who? To who? Come on. <laughs> Eve, that's good. Yeah. Hey, man, right? Who's at the root of the fall? Satan. Falls uh, to Satan. Man, I wish I had more time, but watch. <clears throat> Does anybody remember why Satan got cast out of heaven? He wanted to be like God. He wanted to have dominion. He wanted to have subjects. He wanted to rule. He wanted authority. He wanted power. He couldn't get it in heaven because God wasn't having it. God kicked him out. Jesus saw him fall like lightning. He came to the earth. What did he still want? Power, rule, authority, dominion. Adam falls to Satan and is what? Subjected. To what? Anybody know what he was subjected to? Sin, futility, death. Who, is, who, uh, who owns the power of death in this world? Satan. So he is subjected to futility, death, Satan. And again, what is Satan? A fallen angel. <clears throat> Coming together for you now? Hebrews chapter 2. Now it was not the angels that God subjected the world to come. It wasn't the angels that God subjected this world. God subjected this world to Adam and trusted him to manage it, to exercise authority over it, to do what needed to be done. But Adam disobeyed God, <coughs> was, he failed, he disobeyed God, was cast out of the garden, was enslaved to death and to futility and to corruption underneath the authority and dominion of a fallen angel which was Satan. Now, it wasn't made to be that way. <clears throat> it was made to be under the care of Adam, of mankind. The world was made for mankind. But Satan, the fallen angel, came and tempted by using what? This is, this is what I told you. It just goes on and on and on and on and on. Jesus Christ, who is the last word. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In Genesis chapter 1, God spoke and everything became. The, the moment it all fell apart was when Adam questioned the word of the living God. And, and the fallen angel came and said, did God really say? And Adam didn't say, yes, he said. I'll tell you exactly what he said, because I've hidden God's word in my heart. And you're not going to take dominion over me because my king rules and is seated. At, he's seated in the heavenlies. And you cannot rule over. I have another ruler, but he didn't. He questioned the word of the living God. Remember what, remember what, what it said that Jesus uses to uphold the universe by the word of his power. Adam denied the word and fell apart. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8 <clears throat> as I sprint toward the finish line. This blew my socks off. Now, as you turn <clears throat> to Romans chapter 8, I want you to take your finger and I want you to put it in Hebrews chapter 1 and 2. And I want you to take and flip over 
and have Romans 8 at your disposal. Okay? I'm being more convinced by the chapter that Paul is the author of Hebrews, just so you know. Watch this. Now, it was not to angels. <clears throat> this is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. <clears throat> it was not to angels that the world had been subjected to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man, that you are mindful of him, or the son of man, that you are that you care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with honor and glory because of the suffering of death, so that by grace, by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body or the flesh, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit are, God, are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoptions as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Hold that place. Genesis 3, Adam falls to Satan and he is subject to futility, death, and Satan. Now, in Genesis 3 as well, specifically verse 15, we have the first gospel. And in that first gospel, it says there will be enmity between the serpent, the, the enemy Satan, and the woman's seed. Now we know who the seed is. Galatians chapter 3. Abraham's seed. This is the promised seed. It says there will be enmity between the serpent and the woman's seed. That the serpent will bruise his heel. But the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. He was made a little lower for a little while. But crowned with honor and glory. Because of the death that he suffered. Satan bruised his heel as he crushed his head. In the same fell swoop, Jesus was killed by the works of Satan and a lot of other things playing in with that sinful man. With the sword of death. But that same death blow with death was the death blow that Satan could not overcome. Look at <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. Since there, and thinking about this death by death of death, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he makes, he himself likewise partook of the same things, he became man, <clears throat> that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. The world to come. I hope I'm making sense. The world to come. Genesis 1, perfect world, subject to Adam. Genesis 3, Adam's, Adam falls to Satan and subjects himself to Satan, futility, death, and corruption. Genesis 3, 15, first gospel. There's coming one who will be affected by this, but will overcome this. Okay? This is called the Pro-Evangelion, the first gospel. Jesus Christ arrives on the scene. Let's pick up in chapter uh, 
Romans chapter 8. Jesus Christ arrives, arrives on scene. Well, no, I'm sorry. Go back up. Hold your finger there. Go to Hebrews, though. <coughs> and then we're going to go to chapter 8, and then we're going to be done. There's so many other texts about this, too. Just Google the second Adam and get all the second Adam texts. Paul talks at length about it in Corinthians. <coughs> now, <coughs> we have this world. It's subject to Adam, perfect world, and everything's going good. The enemy comes in, questions the word of God. Man falls and is subjected then to futility and death and the dominion of fallen angels. God promises that he will overturn this at some point through the seed of woman and that everyone was longing to see. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse, the second part of verse 8 again. <clears throat> now in putting everything in subjection to him, he, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with honor with glory and honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone now let's keep going this time for it was fitting that he Jesus for whom and by whom all things existed in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering for he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. <clears throat> now turn over to Romans chapter 8. Hopefully we'll put a bow on this thing. We could just write many Old Testament passages up here that prophesy to the coming Messiah that would overturn all of this, okay? But let's pick it up in the New Testament. So what we're looking at in the Southern Bible Belt is this idea that Jesus just died to save you from your sins, and now you won't go to hell, but you'll go to heaven, right? And that's true. And I'm not making a lie. That's true. But here the author of Hebrews is saying, look, don't neglect this great salvation because you don't want to miss out on just chilling for, for a long time in heaven. No. He's saying don't neglect this great salvation and make sure that you, have, you are grinding after it and you are paying attention because the world to come is not subjected to angels. It's subjected to human beings as part of this great salvation. Now, we don't see everything subjected in subjection right now to humanity, do we? <clears throat> no, but what we do know is that Jesus Christ came and was made a man, suffered and died the death that men should die, and was exalted to the right hand of the Father. Namely, crowned with honor and glory. Crowned with honor and glory. And through Christ, the redemption of the world and the restoration of the Garden of Eden a hundredfold is coming and no one can stop it. Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> Starting in <clears throat> verse uh, 12. We're going to read that again real quick. Now watch what he's saying here. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the flesh or the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear again. But you have received the spirit of adoptions as, uh, as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. We enter into his death with him 
and we are resurrected in power with him. That through the through the the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not just heaven forevermore. It's a restoration of who you were meant to be in Christ from the very beginning, starting right now. Is that even now that you have been exalted to the right hand and seated with Christ in the heavenly realms? Is that you are counted even now, brothers and sisters, as a child of the living God, an heir to the world to come. That's the great salvation. Don't live in this world as as if you are in bondage to sin and bondage to corruption. You are not. That you are you've been set free. You we don't fathom, we can't grasp it. We think there's no way to overcome this sin. That's a lie straight from the pits of hell. That if Christ is in you, then you have overcome. And you are to be a redeemer of the culture, a redeemer of the world. You are to start now to implement the new ruling government that will be in that world to come. Namely, Jesus Christ as king and us as his children. Co-heirs with Christ. Ruling and reigning upon the earth. <coughs> Let's keep reading because that's good. <coughs> For I consider that the sufferings... Now watch this. This is so good. Please, please, children of God, listen just for a moment. I know that you're in a way right now. I know that you can, you can appreciate that, the, what the, the, the author of Hebrews says when he says, we can't see everything in subjection right now. I know you can't see it. I can't see it either. I, I can, sometimes I really can't see it. But just listen to the text. Listen to the word of the living God. And let the realities and the truth seep into your soul. And change who you are in your being. Listen to what it says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Boy. You remember Hebrews chapter 1? He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. You're the sons of the living God with Christ in you. That's why Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8, he's saying, the present sufferings of this present time, they're not even worthy to be compared to the glory, the glory that is to be revealed in us, 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 not just Christ, in us. Don't you understand? You're not even in a position right now to where you should be saying, oh, poor, weary, pitiful me, unless you don't know Christ. If you know Christ, yes, poor, pitiful you, who gets an opportunity to glorify and magnify his glorious name in the midst of your suffering. It even gets better. Watch, watch. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. You see, the creation was subjected to futility too. When Adam, Adam was supposed to exercise dominion over creation... And he failed. And it, was, it wasn't just him that it affected. And it wasn't just mankind. When Adam fell, the entire cre- creation unraveled. <clears throat> Why? Why? This is so good. And I know I'm going to be a few minutes sober. I can't help it. Just listen to me, though. I hope it's worth it. Why did the entire creation unravel when Adam fell when he sinned why did the whole creation unravel does anybody know looking for an answer what is this it's my head it's because he was the head of all creation adam was he was the centerpiece he was the crown accomplishment of god's whole creation he exercised dominion over it He named all the animals. God made everything. And he said, it's good. He made everything. Oh, it's good. He made Adam and brought him Eve, the crown accomplishment of his entire creation. And he said, oh, and they were naked too. And he said, oh, it's very good. And everybody said, amen. (laughs) 
But when Adam fell, everything under him fell with it. He was the head. Watch. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Why? You know, you understand there, he's already talking about people. He's already talking about the sons of God. But the creation is longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Why? Because when the sons of God are revealed, Daniel, when the, John, when the, son of, when the sons of God are revealed, Marcus, through Christ, who upholds the universe by the word of his power, shalom and peace and harmony start to be interwoven into the fabric of creation. You see, you are not to grab it, blab it, go home and be glad you have it. No. You are, you are to be conformed to the image of Christ. God is the potter, we are the clay, but in God we become potters. And we start to mold and shape the things around us. How? How? Somebody tell me how. It's always the one way that God does anything. In the beginning, God, yes, and as we get to know this word, who is the Logos from the beginning, and <clears throat> he implants himself in our hearts, Psalm 19 says, that, that, God, I hide your word inside my heart that I might not sin against you. And as we speak the word of God forth, it, 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 it breathes harmony and intrinsic connections through creation. And it, and it reinstalls, re, it reconfigures creation. And that's why the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage. To corruption. And obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Wait, what? The creation waits in eager longing anticipation that it would be set free from corruption and bondage to obtain the glory of the children of God. Do you understand what that means? It means that all of creation longs to taste what you experience on a daily basis. Now I know that we don't, we don't, we don't press into that, do we? We're always all up in our corruption. But if we could only tap in to the glory that is already being revealed. Now, is this complete? No. In theological understanding, we say this is the already not yet. That Christ is already in you. That that's an aorist tense verb in Ephesians. That you're already seated in the heavenly realm. That you're already been made perfect. you already been granted authority. You're an, you're an ambassador of Christ. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And what is reconciliation? Bringing things back together. That you are little Christ conformed to his image. Christ holds up the universe by the word of his power. You are little holder uppers too. By the word of his power. All right, I'm going to finish. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption to obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves <clears throat> who are who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That's the completion of it. Say, so we're tasting it. We're, we're, we got the first fruits. We're the first fruits. So we see it. We feel it. We know it in our bones. We're ambassadors of Christ. We're putting culture back together. We're watching people come to salvation. But we feel in our bones it's not complete. And we're longing for that day, for that day when, when, this, when all of it will be rid. And I wish I had time we could go into the power presence and, or the uh, penalty power and presence of sin. Let's suffice it to say that we see it, don't we? 
We see it, and we taste it, and we've experienced it. We've been set free from Christ, or set free by Christ from the corruption of this world. But we're still dealing with a lot of it, and someday it'll be over. We, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. Remember back to Hebrews, it says, we don't now see everything in, in subjection. We don't see it yet. Listen to this. <clears throat> He says, we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our body. For in, redem- for in this hope, the redemption of our body, the world to come. Same idea. The world to come. The great salvation. The reinstitution and uh, explosion even past this uh, idea of, of Eden and perfection. The new Jerusalem. The new heavens and the new earth. Perfect in every way. It says, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? You don't hope in what you see, right? Just logically, you don't hope in what you see. What you see is already there. What you see is what you get. We hope for that what we do not see. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Ephesians, <coughs> Hebrews chapter 2, 5 through 9, and I went a little bit past that. Basically what it's saying is this. I told you to pay close attention and don't neglect this salvation. Because it's not the world that, the world to come is not subjected to the angels. It's subjected to you. And that you, that you are the heirs of Christ. You are the heirs of the earth. That the whole earth and all of creation will be subject to you and you will rule over it. Now, I know you don't see it right now. And how is that going to happen? Through Christ, who we know was made a little lower than the angels, but now is crowned with honor and glory. And you know what the Bible says? Who else will be crowned with honor and glory? You. Is that you will be the ones in Christ who will be ruling over the world to come. So start now. Start now in being a royal priesthood. Start now in living day by day as Christ. Start now living every single minute of every single day with the idea of restoration and reconciliation, bringing this world back into line. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are so wonderful and so beautiful, and I am so long-winded. Lord God, I pray that you would use this to transform somebody's life. I know you have mine. And I also know that I was kind of all over the place. So God, let your word go forth and not return void. That it might do what you've called it to do. And that is to bring many sons and daughters into your glorious grace. Knowing that they will rule the world. And that you will be their king. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet, and uh, we're going to just play for a moment. We're going to give you an opportunity, and we're, we're, uh, we're not going to do the last song completely, but we do just want to give you an opportunity. If you want to come and pray, and, and uh, I don't know if you, got, if you need to repent, or maybe if you uh, need to do work with God. I don't know if you've ever been saved. So uh, just take a moment, and let's pray, and then we'll dismiss.